the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, Thank you for joining us. A lot to cover today. Um, You know, yesterday's program, if you saw, if you listened to it, or if you saw any of the segments as we post them over on social media uh, and uh, also in the podcast, uh, included an interview with a professor, a professor at Catholic University. And uh, it was really interesting to to speak with her. Um, Her name is Catherine Pakalik. Uh, I'm, I was, um, making sure I pronounce that right. A pacolic, pacolic. Um, and I was practicing. She's a professor over at, um, the Catholic University of America. And she has a new book called Hannah's Children, the women quietly defying the birth dearth. And so, but here's what I wanted to tell you. I, you know, sometimes when you have an interview with someone thoughtful and she got me thinking a lot and I was listening, you start to listen for things. She was right. She's been, she wrote and then she spoke with us yesterday about the experience of, of, of families having five children or more. And she talks about what they, what she discovers It's a new book that's coming out in a few months. But after I listened to her, I kept seeing the question, seeing the problem of low birth rates everywhere I looked, including, I don't know if you noticed the Chinese communist uh, government had a bad day, a couple of days, the economy uh, uh, dropped dramatically, but more telling is that they have a problem an accelerating problem in China and the communist Chinese regime, 1.4 billion people. Um, they have a problem because there is a declining birth rate. And for, I don't know, two generations, three generations, the Chinese communists have said to families, you know, uh, have one child at most have two child, two children. Uh, they've limited dramatically. I remember in Indonesia in 1992-93, when I was there, I was there in a research fellowship, there were statues in towns, and the phrase was chukup dua, chukup dua, which meant two is enough. And it, these were efforts to limit the population from having larger families by encouraging them in all sorts of ways. Some of the ways draconian, some, you know, that, that they would, you know, uh, penalize people dramatically, but generally it was persuasive. That was Indonesia. Well, and Indonesia is very influenced by the uh, Chinese uh, communist regime and policies and in various ways. But China's got a problem. The Chinese regime has been trying for a few years now 
to incentivize and change the mindset of the Chinese people on population, on, on having families. And for births in China, this is from the Wall Street Journal, births in China dropped by more than 500,000 last year to just over 9 million in total, accelerating the decline in the country's population as women, especially, shrugged off the government's exhortation to reproduce. The point here is you cannot keep going in the communist regime, if you're not having families, if you're not having a replacement a birth rate for workers and everything else. So this is what I want to say about this. We have the same problem in America. They have the same problem in Europe, places like Italy and others. It's a real uh, problem. Uh, I mean, it's it's, a, it's, a, it's not just a demographic question. You know, the, the fools in the 1970s that pushed overpopulation, it turns out they were exactly opposite. Right now we have a problem, not in the world, by the way, but a problem in uh, the West with under, you know, with underpopulation and the question of what you do about that is a problem because as, as Catherine Bacolic said on the interview yesterday, you can't just incentivize. There's, there's no magic way to incentivize uh, having kids with government, you know, uh, incentives. It doesn't work as well as people want, uh, want to believe they, they think that they can somehow, um, you know, kind of tax incentivize their way through it. It doesn't work as well as you think. And it doesn't, it doesn't uh, change behavior as well as one would, you know, hope, I guess, is what you'd say. So anyway, the, the question, by the way, the, the great character um, at the at the beginning of uh, of this in the 1970s, there was a famous book. I can't remember if the actual book is called Overpopulation. I think it was, but there was a whole movement and, and it was actually centered on out of Washington University. And that was Peter Singer was uh, one of the people who uh, talked a lot about the overpopulation issues. But, but anyway, back to this Chinese problem. The Chinese regime can't change behavior. And so they have a problem and and the economy falls apart. And here's what I was thinking about. Could it be that the communist Chinese demands that their people not have larger families over the last 40 years is the seeds of their end? Because if the economy stalls in the communist Chinese regime, if the command control economy doesn't work, you end up having this um, cascading effect. You know, you, you can't say that you see no one can say that they see social unrest in communist China today. You don't you're not allowed to see it. You, the communist Chinese don't allow it. You can't say that you see a burgeoning property rights movement or, a, a, you know, a kind of a Western style freedom and, and um, kind of free market. It doesn't it's, it's all command control. But you also couldn't have said, couldn't have predicted exactly what would happen at the end of the Soviet Union, where the Soviet Union was held together by a vision of a, a strong military and uh, and competing with the West. And suddenly they couldn't do it anymore because they didn't have the ability in their economy to hold it together. And uh, and that happened very rapidly. And so my thought here, my question is in, in my head is, is this uh, a problem of population and birth decline? Is it the you know, is it is it leading indicator of, of a major problem uh, for the communist Chinese regime? And if one point four billion people get dissatisfied, that's a lot bigger than the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union had a sprawling uh, empire. I mean, the Soviet empire was across uh, historically important places and, and, uh, and, you know, the, the, the parts of Europe and, and, uh, Asia towards uh, the Soviet Union, where th th I mean, it was just historic. I mean, it was places that we knew names that we knew and, and, but the size and scope of the population of China, 
You may not know the places as well, but I can assure you 1.4 billion people, a breakup of the communist Chinese regime in some meaningful way uh, would be extraordinary. And I mean, beyond belief, actually Uh, hard to actually picture. But listening to Professor Pakalik, you know, you start to realize this is the problem. And this is where I bring it back. What you need to know today, it's the problem of the family. Now, you could say, and, and I think even Catherine P- Pakalik, the professor from Catholic University, even she says it's a, the, the book is about as, as, uh, describing Hannah, Hannah's children and talking about the women deciding. But and the, and the Chinese, the article on the, from the Chinese regime is that the Chinese regime has tried to influence women's decisions to have more children. But it's a family question, right? If you don't have family supporting jobs, if you don't have a, a structure that sets up that makes it so that a, a person, a woman thinks and feels that she could have a, have a child and that it would work out because there's a, a, a spouse there, a husband there taking care of kids. I mean, being a part of the taking care of and supporting. And so this the pro family part of this is another piece of the puzzle. And which brings me to uh, later this week, we'll be heading over to uh, Washington, D.C. for the March for Life. And people will literally my kids will be going on buses to go for the March for Life and and all across the country. People will come and the March for Life. And of course, it's a changed March for Life. What started as a commemoration of the Holocaust of Roe v. Wade and Dovey Bolton every January 22nd. March on Washington to say, why is the law being uh, you know used this way against we the people? That's how it started. And of course, Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton um, are, are been overridden by the Dobbs decision uh, a year and a half ago and um, in, Ju- in June of 2022. And so the 2023 and the 2024 March for Life, these two last year and then coming up this week are very different. Because you used to be marching against the behemoth uh, of Roe v. Wade, Doe v. Bolton, you know, march up to the Supreme Court and say, why? Why are you doing this? Now that's gone. And now the question is, how do you how are you for life? How are you for life? Not just against Roe v. Wade, but for life. And one of the ways is this question of population, uh, having families, birth rates. And uh, and I think we've got to figure out, as I said to Catherine Pakalik, it can't be just a tax incentive. It's also got to be leadership. It can't be just a national conversation. It's got to be local and uh, familial. And uh, we're, we're seeing some of that. But across the world, people are struggling with this. And the no more uh, pressing place, no more pressing set of issues than what we're seeing out, coming out of communist China. And, uh, and it should be, it's a mixed blessing, right? There should be, it's gratifying to see the communist Chinese regime failing in its vision, but it's bad for people and bad for the world and bad for humanity uh, to be struggling so fundamentally with these issues. So a lot to unpack. That's what you need to know. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. we got to take a break, and we will be, by the way, I will have Catherine Pakalik back on the show to talk about her book, which comes out in about 60 days. Make sure people hear about it and, uh, and get connected to it. So I look forward to that. We'll take a break. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Old friend Mike Davis, who has been making the rounds, and I mean he's been making the rounds. Mike Davis, of course, is the founder of the Article 3 Project. If you go to article3project.org, article3project.org, you will see a ton of uh, information inside, understandings, uh, and ways to get involved uh, defending the Constitution, the rule of law, and good judges. Welcome back, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well, and thank you for having me. Uh, So, Mike, I I was texting with you, and I told you I want to talk about due process. And, you know, again, for those that don't track it, Mike Davis, besides being a very good communicator now and a lawyer, um, he clerked at the Court of Appeals, uh, the Federal Court of Appeals. He clerked at the U.S. Supreme Court. He worked at the uh, in the executive branch at the highest levels. And also he worked uh, for Senator Grassley on the Judiciary Committee. So he's been all across the top levels of of federal government and, and the federal legal system. So my question, though, Mike, is due process as we know it, this this sort of system uh, of justice in America, the legal system based on this notion of due process, the Constitution, the rule of law, a, a, a sort of fairness of values of honesty and integrity. It's just this lawfare thing is going so fast to undermine that. Yeah. So they waited 30 months. These Democrats waited 30 months to bring these unprecedented indictments four indictments against the former president who happens to be the leading presidential candidates. And they timed these indictments and these trials to be back to back to back. So President Trump is in a courtroom and instead of on the campaign trail, throughout 2024. They have a trial right now with Gene Carroll's case in New York. They have a January 6th trial in D.C. scheduled for March. They have a January 6th trial in Georgia scheduled for August. They have the classified records case, the Mar-a-Lago case, I guess scheduled for, actually the Georgia case is not scheduled yet, but that that needs to be scheduled. The classified documents case is scheduled in May. The Manhattan case with Alvin Bragg for the non-crime of settling a nuisance claim is scheduled for March. So they have January, March, March, May, and maybe another trial after that. It's just insane. This is obviously lawfare by the Democrats. It's obviously election interference. And there is proof that this is driven by President Joe Biden, his White House and his Justice Department. We're talking with Mike Davis, and again, he's the founder and the and the director of the Article Three Project. Go to article the number three project dot org. You'll see a lot of that there. You can follow him on Twitter too. He's a prolific on Twitter at m r d d m i a. That's his Twitter handle, a r- ridiculous Twitter handle. But uh, Mike, very specifically now, you look at the federal courts in in Washington D.C. District Court, Court of Appeals, and you look at it and you say to yourself, "Man, it looks like those prosecutors are getting away with a lot." I, I mean, in the D.C. bar there. They're attacking, I'd say they're attacking the right to counsel. You can't, if you're Jeff Clark, you're going to find yourself tied up tight in California, Eastman, on and on and on. But that's a different part of this. But, you, you know, due process means you're supposed to at least have a shot at an impartial tribunal. I mean, it's not that the deck is stacked. The deck is not, there's no chance. I mean, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to pull a straight flush and, and there's no flush available. They, they took the cards out of the deck. I mean, the juries have been completely decimated by the onslaught of propaganda from the select committee in Congress. The judges are either delusional. I mean, they're, they're wrapped up in a myth on, on the same topic, but they don't seem to want to, to deal within the constitution. The rule of law and the prosecutors are rolling over we the people. I mean, it's there's never been anything like this, has there? 
No, they, I mean, the Demo- this is part of the law for the Democrats uh, impeached Trump twice for bogus reasons, including asking to investigate Biden's corruption in Ukraine. The Democrats have in- indicted Trump four times for non-crimes. They've brought these civil lawsuits, including the Gene Carroll cases and the civil fraud case in New York by Democrat New York Attorney General Tish James for the non-fraud of a uh, of a businessman paying back sophisticated Wall Street banks in full on time with interest. And so you have these cases brought in these Democrat hellholes like New York, D.C., and Atlanta with these Democrat judges and these Democrat prosecutors and these Democrat juries in D.C., uh, D.C. voted like 95 percent against Trump, and it's 99.99 percent Trump range because even the Republicans in D.C. are completely out of touch with reality, especially on this January 6th nonsense. There's no chance that President Trump is going to get a fair trial in New York, D.C., or Atlanta. And they've already proven that in New York with Judge Arthur Ingeron, this Manhattan judge, this Democrat judge who has this Democrat activist law clerk bizarrely sitting on the bench next to him. You and I both clerked, Ed. I don't remember sitting on the bench. <laughs> never invited. Never invited. With, with the judge for, for, whom we cl- uh, for whom we clerked for. Uh, right. But it's just, it's so bizarre. This Judge Arthur Ingeron decreed he ruled before the trial even started before any witnesses or any other evidence that Trump somehow committed fraud this guy is so partisan and so rabid and Trump deranged he couldn't even fake it through a trial he couldn't even wait for the trial to begin to rule against Trump and yeah it's just insane you have this uh, DC Obama judge Tanya Shutkin who right. is just out to get Trump and she's been reversed by the D.C. Circuit, I mean, she, she's just rabid. So is this Arthur Ingram. When you're getting reversed by your Democrat colleagues on a on the appellate court, that just shows you how rapid you are. Uh, we're talking again, Mike Davis, uh, the founder and the head of the Article 3 Project, Article 3, the number 3 project.org. Lots of there there. Also on Twitter, uh, on X, he's very prolific and very helpful, uh, often with uh, threads that take apart some argument or something you're seeing. Uh, Mike, may I ask you uh, one specific line, uh, a question that'll get you going here? When you see the 1512, this obstruction of, of official proceeding that was used, uh, in, Andrew Weissman wanted to use it on the Mueller, uh, in the Mueller investigation against Trump. Trump, they basically took a, an overbroad. I'm, I'm 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 simplifying this, but an overbroad law passed and then applied it to the people they wanted to, and used the rhetoric of of you know insurrection and terrorism as the reason to to do this. I mean, this is it's it's not it's not getting close to the Soviet model of show me the man, I'll show you the crime. It is the Soviet model, and but my question is different, Mike. Why isn't this offensive to like 90 percent of the bar? The lawyers, you and I know them. Sometimes they're liberals, but they're honest and honorable people, we thought. And yet the silence, you know, the silence is is really surprising. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I was the staff leader on the Senate Judiciary Committee for over 70 hearings and markup meetings on the Senate Judiciary Committee for Justice Kavanaugh and a whole bunch of other judicial and executive branch nominees for President Trump. And we had, you remember during the Kavanaugh proceedings, we had the proceedings interrupted within eight seconds 
right of the hearings starting, including from the spectators and the Democrat senators. We had senators threatened, chased through hallways, protesters trespassed into uh, Senate-only elevators, trespassed into offices. They made violent threats. They disrupted the, the committee proceedings. They disrupted the floor proceedings. Not a damn thing happened to them, right? And it's um, it's amazing to me how the Democrats can take these vague laws and weaponize them against their political enemies. I mean, we see the Biden Justice Department throwing everything they have, the biggest law enforcement investigation in world history right. by the Di- Biden Justice Department to go after Trump, his top aides, his lawyers, his supporters, on January 6th, they're even going after parents outraged at school board meetings by the gender chaos and the resulting rapes in high school bathrooms. They're going after Christians praying outside of abortion clinics while the Biden Justice Department gives amnesty to Biden, his crooked family, Hunter and James and the rest of the Bidens who are on the Chinese and Ukrainian and Russian and Kazakh payrolls, every other spot around the world. And then the Biden Justice Department is giving amnesty to their BLM and Antifa and Hamas base and their abortion activists. We can't, we're not going to survive as a republic if we have, if we have a politicized and weaponized justice system deploy to go after our police. Well, first of all, thank you, Mike Davis. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Thank you for being out there. And uh, if you haven't followed Mike uh, and seen, he's a fighter. And one of the things you know it's working is the left goes crazy. Uh, they can't. They go crazy on Mike Davis. It's fantastic to watch. And he takes it. Um, he, he embodies exactly what the late Phyllis Schlafly used to say about Irish. She said the old joke, what two Irishmen's walking down the street, he sees a fight, and he goes over and taps him on the shoulder and says, this is a, a private fight or can anyone jump in? And there's Mike Davis for you. So we got to run, though. We got to take a break. We'll be right back. Mike Davis, Article 3 Project. Links up on social media. Be back in a moment. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been way too long. We just exchanged Happy New Year greetings. My friend Ted Malik, who has been a frequent guest on the program, it's been too long since he's been on. He's been busy, I suppose. You can go to tedmalik.me, tedmalik.me. Check out all his writings and all. One of the books that he's written, of his many books, is called is named Davos, Aspen, and Yale, My Life Behind the Elite Curtain as a Global Sherpa. So welcome back, Ted. How are you? Um, well, Ed, I know that it's uh, Davos week. Yes. So therefore, I'm, I'm getting calls. People want to know <laughs> what really goes on in that inner circle, in that uh, sanctum up high in the uh, Bernie's, uh, in the overland of Switzerland. Yeah. The uh, Well, and so let me ask you first, somebody put on social media that uh, all of the escort services in Davos are booked solid. I don't know how many there were, but or are. Um, but is it that kind of party? I mean, is, is Berla, was Berlusconi uh, back in the day, you know, with, with it, or, or, I mean, wherever there's gathered a bunch of people, there's going to be some of that. But is Davos known for that? Wow. You're really starting out with the heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah, well. uh, it, it is indeed. They have uh, a long reputation for having the world's finest. In fact, uh, I can attest that uh, Klaus Schwab picks them himself. Hmm. And at least when I was uh, on the executive board, this is some time decades ago, they had 
Swiss Air stewardesses among them. Uh, we're talking with Ted Malik and uh, Ted, is it so? But uh, on the other hand, there's a lot, a lot of wealth. Is there a lot of decision making going on, too? I mean, for, for those of us that, again, we're talking with Ted Malik and his book has uh, uh, been around about seven or eight years uh, called Davos, uh, Aspen and Yale. My life behind the elite curtain as a global Sherpa. Are, are there really deals going on? Is there really decision making? What, what's oh, what's, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's all about uh, whining and dining and thought leadership and concocting the next world order. I mean, just go to their website. The World Economic Forum is underway. Uh, I think Zelensky is speaking today, so it's going to yeah, be a very important day, bailing out the Ukraine and getting all that reconstruction going. I mean, obviously, he's lost now, so he's going to have to play a new tune. I mean, even the Europeans seem tired of him, uh, let alone the Republicans. But, um, yeah, no, the the theme this year is all about, get this, rebuilding trust. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it is it's well, I don't want to sound cynical Ed, but <laughs> you can get the drift of my uh yeah my voice. yeah uh it is uh it's, it's a it's, new barometer that they've come out with uh they've just launched it which is going to measure trust and uh you know according to this barometer which has been made for them by McKinsey Oh my I mean, god brilliant folks at McKinsey so there couldn't be anything more conspiratorial uh, and, uh, you know, all those, you know, I, I think this year's other major theme is uh, we should be welcoming to the Chinese. <laughs> well, uh, we're talking with Ted Malik again, uh, the author and businessman. He's uh, Ted Malik.me is his website. He's got lots of writings over the last few years and then books for many years. Um, Ted is um, they hate Trump, right? I mean, they wake up today and they're like, oh, holy cow, wait, we oh, thought oh. we thought we thought America was going to get smart. And, and, and Iowa suddenly picks Trump. I mean, I guess they just don't understand America, obviously, because they, they, thought- they have never understood America. They are the most anti-American globalists on the entire universe hmm. so yeah they they detest trump and uh you know of course i was representing him for a period of time they fear him greatly <laughs> and, and and they must be wondering now i mean they're all politicians with some distance if you're if you're if you're in europe you're looking over and you're saying huh here comes trump energy abound and there goes biden stumbling around right i mean the contrast if you were is that poetry it sounded like you were I, I think, writing poetry i think it was i think it was america first verse i'm gonna do a book let's do a book ted america first verse with ted ted malik and ed martin uh <laughs> but i'm gonna go back and listen it might have been my first poem second poem I'll someday I'll read cow poetry by Ed Martin to you, but go ahead. But back to my point. Well, I, I, I think, you know, Biden is, is absent from his own job. He doesn't even have time to go to Davos. I did hear uh, it's more than a rumor that Tony Blinken is going to be there uh, for a day and a half. Can't spare much more time because he's got so much on his hands, having started, what, three wars in this administration. Uh, and it's a very small delegation from the United States this year. John mm-hmm. Kerry, of course, you know, is swan song on his private plane trying to save the planet. You know, the same old, same old. And all the, you know, same old, same old CEOs, Bill Gates amongst them. There will be a very strong contingent this year on transhumanism, though. Really? 
Oh, yeah, that's that's the subterfuge at Davos. It's all about the transhuman. Transhumans. Wow. Um, are, and that, yeah, it's got to be at least uh, Elon Musk or, or something. But all right, before I lose you, Ted Malik, um, you watch those Iowa results. You're seeing what's going on in the Republican primary. You've you've watched a couple dozen uh, election cycles, if I can say. Um, what uh, what's your sense right now? Where do you think we are? What happens next? God bless those white conservative evangelicals in Iowa. We are the people. Um, I think it's all over. I've been saying it for months. Why are we wasting time, energy, and shooting at each other? Just get on with it and go to the the national and get behind our man who should be president again. The uh, Well, and and now again, you've observed these things for, for decades. Will it happen? Is that what will happen? I mean, do you, I, again, I, you know, some years ago. Oh, no, no, the media, the media. I mean, even this morning I was listening to, you know, MSNBC. I do listen to these folks. They're saying, oh, he didn't really win. <laughs> or right. they're saying, oh, it was a lower turnout. Or, oh, Haley did so spectacularly, she really deserved to debate with him. It's over, folks. Bring on Joe, and we'll put him down next. Is uh, is we're talking with Ted Malik again? Ted, is it, is it Joe uh, Biden, or do they replace him at some point? Well, it is desperate, but they they haven't uh, you know made the moves that they need to. Uh, I mean, some people think it's Michelle at the convention, but God bless him. I don't think that's in the cards. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. All right. What can we watch? Back to my Davos. I'm looking back at my notes. Again, we're talking with Ted Malik. TedMalik.me is his website, his book uh, on this topic, Davos, Aspen, and well, Yale, is, My Life Behind yeah, the Ely Curtain. What, what, do you, what would you watch as you're watching the news come out of Davos? And, and, and when you see it, you say, what well, really is going on? You can go to their this? website. You can go uh-huh. to their website and see the real thing. Because some people, when they see it, cannot believe it. It's a cabal of globalists trying to insert their will on the world. So, I mean, watch it firsthand. There is a, a novel I would bring to your attention. It just came out this year called Death and Davos, and it's pretty close to reality. Uh, Death and Davos, who's the author? It's a woman journalist that I've never heard of, but she clearly has some inside information. Wow. Is it is it, and it's uh, it's fiction, huh? That's exciting. That's I that's a good one. That's a good topic. You could have written that one. That could have been your I uh, could have written that in my sleep. Yeah, exactly. Uh Death and Davos? Death in Davos. Oh, Death in Davos. Oh, even oh, better. Yeah. Even better. All right. Well, I will go uh track it down. Uh Ted, uh last question. European Union, they're gonna have European elections in yes. the spring. Um and they've had this surging of 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 uh I would call them conservative parties. They call them right wing or whatever. Um no, far right wing extremists. Oh right, far right wing parties. And, and and what's what what's likely to happen now in the in the in in in, uh, in Europe? What do you see, sense, and know about what's coming? In almost every country, these are the ascendant parties. They're popular sovereignists. They have a great deal in common with Trump, and uh, I would say they would, in many cases, uh, either win the elections or have very very sizable minorities. I mean, the case of the Netherlands, you have a. Uh, you know, an election that took place recently and um, the farmers and the People's Party will form the new government. Does that how dramatically does it affect the EU? I mean, are we looking at another Brexit type thing? Is there another country that could step away? Jeez, I got in trouble for saying this the last time I said it. Every country in Europe should have a referendum whether or not they want to stay in the European Union. Now, this is coming from someone 
who has the very high title of persona non grata from <laughs> the Soviet Union. I meant the European Union. Right. Uh, that's right. Officially. By the way, I found the book Death in Davos. Dexter meets Gossip Girl meets Kill Bill. A teen serial killer gets herself invited to the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. I just want you to know, J.D. Sandham, the author, if I find out that that's Ted Malik someday, I will not be surprised. I know how this goes, Ted. Uh, Ted Malik, thank you as always. Ted Malik.me and uh, his book I'll put a link to on his experience as a global Sherpa. Uh, and we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. The feminists have carried on a long campaign to use a federal law called Title IX to force colleges to cancel men's sports teams until the number of men and women on sports teams has the same ratio as the number of men and women enrolled in academic classes. Title IX quotas forced the elimination of 467 college wrestling teams, a particular target of feminist anti-masculine ideology. The attack on wrestling shows that Title IX is not about funding since wrestling is one of the least expensive sports. Other victims of Title IX include men's track and field, swimming, the elimination of all but 19 men's college gymnastics teams, and even even Howard University's baseball team. This injustice hit us hard at the Olympics in Beijing. The Chinese, who were not restricted by feminist nonsense, won seven out of eight gold medals in men's gymnastics, while our team failed to win a single gold medal in eight events. Other countries send their best athletes without regard to political correctness. Title IX disadvantages our country by denying opportunities to male athletes and pushing less talented women into sports only to get free college tuition, not because they are keen on sports. Reducing opportunities for sports is a major cause of the dramatic drop in male attendance at college. Why bother attending college if men can't play the sport they love? Congress has amended Title IX numerous times to carve out exceptions to this law. Exceptions for single-sex schools, seminaries, contact sports, fraternities, sororities, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, American Legion, Girl State, and Boy State, and mother-daughter and father-son school events. It's time for another amendment to get rid of Title IX silliness in order to solve the problem of the much-disliked 40-60 male-female ratio in colleges. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The traditional family is the building block of our communities and country. That's why it's imperative to support strong marriages, respect fathers, and champion stay-at-home moms. At phyllisschlafly.com, we oppose the liberal attempt to redefine the family. To join us, visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let's finish today by talking about how strange the world is. Uh, I mean, how strange it is. It's one it's one thing to watch the fake news channels like CNN and MSNBC melting down. You know, I don't know if you saw and probably have seen clips of it. Rachel Maddow on the night of her uh, of the Iowa caucuses just melting down. I mean, and, and saying things that I had a friend of mine who's an Italian citizen text me and say, is she serious? Is MSNBC saying that they're going to not cover a major candidate because they think what he says isn't true. And I said, well, if you're as deranged as as, as Rachel Maddow seems to be uh, mentally unbalanced, I guess that's what you say. I, I One of the things I tell people is Rachel Maddow is really smart, really smart, book smart. And she knows exactly the game she's playing. I forget who told me that years ago they did a, a pilot with Rachel Maddow. Who was that? Was it? It was a commentator online. He said he did a pilot with Rachel Maddow to do Crossfire uh, with her and uh, like a kind of back and forth and that she was very reasonable off the air. Uh, Maybe she's gone bonkers now in terms of her Trump derangement, but I think she's also playing to a very lucrative crowd. She gets paid 10 or 15 million dollars a year to be the face of the, you know, crazed anti-Trumpers. So but that's not uh, the most important part. Uh, of what's upside down. Um, It is a big deal, but now we can see it. Fake news, right? Um, We can see fake universities, you know, fake higher ed, you know, the the distorted higher ed, uh, whether it's because of DEI or because of their, you know, 30 or 40 year um, track record now. But the one I want to point to is Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney, who was just a few years ago on track to be Speaker of the House. She was just a few years ago completely hated by the left and the Democrats. Uh, uh, This week, she spoke at the Ebenezer Baptist Church, a church that was made famous uh, because Martin Luther King Jr. preached there and was, I think, pastor there for a number of years. But it's kind of identified as the Black Baptist uh, Mecca. It's in Atlanta. It's an extraordinary community and um, an amazing church to see in history. And Liz Cheney spoke there on uh, Martin Luther King Jr., on on him and his legacy, and she got wildly uh, 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 applauded and standing ovations because she would blast Trump and because she would say all the things that Joe Biden is saying. And when you stop and think about her record, her record is really, um, you know, she came to power on her father's name. That's not the end of the world. It's not the beginning of the world. That's that is what it is. I mean, a lot of people have that experience. You know, George W. Bush is not president and is not governor of Texas because of his own. Uh, uh, I mean, his name helped him. Right. It's always true. There are self-made people. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan was self-made. There are lots of them in America, but but it's not the end of the world. But Liz Cheney was because of her association with her father. She was completely ostracized and in a growing way by her own party because of the the, the sort of neocon warmongering. I mean, the neocon warmongering, it's, it's profound, it's significant, it's real. And it was anathema to the left and to the Democrat Party. They were absolutely appalled by it. They didn't, well, well they, they were co-opted by it too, I guess is the way you should think about it. But anyway, there, there she is, Liz Cheney, uh, someone that, again, Maybe two years ago, three years ago, she would have been despised by the Democrats. And because she played along, in particular with the 19 plus million dollars spent by the Pelosi, Liz Cheney, Benny Thompson select committee on January 6th, which has been a not only lying about what happened, 
but destroying evidence about what they discovered. They basically, the future, it won't, you won't have to wait for decades like you did with the Warren Commission to, to say, I think there's some doubts about what went on here. You could say it right now. That, that select committee was a mess, a disaster. You know, it was not fair. It was not serious. It was not, um, it did not, uh, um, uh, you know, um, wrap itself in glory in terms of what they did. They just didn't get to the, they, 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 they did, they pushed the narrative. They're the ultimate example of the narrative machine when it comes to January 6th. The narrative machine, in this case, big government working with big media and big tech, and sometimes with big business, to put out the narrative. That's exactly what Liz Cheney was doing. She was she was the Republican cover for the narrative machine on the lie of January 6th. And even in her speech at MLK Jr. from the pulpit, she talked about the big lie, and the big lie is not only January 6th, it's the big lie is anyone questioning the 2020 election, that this was a perfect election. Here's my message to you. Here's what you can tell from Liz Cheney being welcomed into the, into the, and into the left and into the Democrat Party. What you can tell is that the game is rigged. It's just usually rigged by both parties. The, the system is rigged. By both parties, if you call it a uniparty, that uniparty doesn't work for me because there are two parties. But both parties, the so-called establishment, which is both parties and the sort of ruling class, they clearly rigged the game. And that includes elections. If you thought that the Democrats, you know, gamed the system, maybe they did it all legally. I don't think so. But maybe they did in 2020. They certainly gamed the system. They admitted that. They bragged about it. Molly Ball, the journalist, wrote the piece. They bragged about it. And now they're doing it again. They're getting ready to do it again. But they're, they're, they're shameless in bragging about. And, and the big lie, according to Liz Cheney, that we're not supposed to talk about is that the election was perfect. And the reason why, again, is because both parties are in on it. The reason why there's not, you know, same day, uh, uh, one day voting, no uh, fraud, no gamesmanship is because both parties benefit. That has to be what the answer is. That has to be at the heart of the, uh, of the story. That's what it means to watch Liz Cheney and the establishment, the, the ruling classes tell us that everything, you cannot question it. It's, it's yet another reason why Trump looks better and better to more and more people, because they say, well, no matter what you think, you may think that even if you even if you think, well, uh, you know, uh, both parties do a, a fine job of keeping the country on track um, there. But you at least know they're gaming the system. All right. That's all we got. to run out of time. Thank you to Ryan Hyde, Mason Mohan, our great producers. We'll be back tomorrow. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.